You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Philippians 2, 1-4, through 4. let each one of you not only his own interest, so now we're at Philippians 2, verse 4, and we're going to take up in verse 5, so this was my intro. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Now we go to that third appeal, that appeal to humility. Verse 5, have this mind among yourself, which is yours I put in parentheses in my Bible, in Christ Jesus. So we're not looking out for the interests of of, of self. It's not about me. It's about him and it's about them. God first, others, then me. Have this mind in you. How can I do this as I have the same mind that Christ has, who though he was in the form of God, so we're going to work through that. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in this human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verses 5 through 11. What a picture of humility. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to grasp, but this, let's, let's walk through it. Have this mind. Have this attitude have the same aspect of what, how Christ viewed his ministry to, to us as humanity. Have this same thinking, this same mind, that, that, that attitude as we look at life. It, it kind of, when we think about that word attitude, it's kind of our character and it kind of drives our ministry, you know, it drives our life. Have the mind of Christ. We looked at several weeks. What is, it, what is uh, God's purpose? That we would be conformed to the image of Christ. Have this mind of Christ have this same attitude of Christ so as we think about that we're going to have the same mind of Christ think about what it's saying about what that looks like you want to see an ultimate picture of humility who though he was in the form of God so we don't need to take this word form that we see a couple of times here and get to overthink it Jesus Christ 
is God and always will be God and is God just as God here on scripture that he was in heaven so he didn't come out of heaven and cease to be God and then become man and then at the cross he became God again he, he has always been God we talked about that I think it was Wednesday night we got talking about that and praying in the garden and not your will but not my will but your will and as we think about it as we get real close to that we, it, it's easy to say well Jesus wasn't God then, and he was trying to decide what to do. But if we, we, we track that on down, then we just got a man dying on a cross and not God. It's a perfect sacrifice. So he's always been God, but he came as a man so that he could do something we could never do. Now, just think about that. Have you ever, like, been somewhere and wish you didn't have to be somewhere and you're there? Okay, where was, where was he? The right hand of the Father. Now, Mormonism, which is not Christianity, Mormonism would say that they were up in heaven and one of, one of God's, one of God's, one of the God's decided that there needed to be a redemption for humanity. And so they were just kind of sitting around in heaven talking about who wants to go be the redeemer. And so Jesus and, and Satan and Lucifer were kind of hanging out with other little angels. And Jesus said, I'll do it. So Jesus came out. Again, that's weird. Track that on out. And so that's, that's why we need to be real careful just because someone says they're a Christian and believes in Jesus. What, what, what Jesus do you believe in? But he's God. And it says that he came and totally denied self. In the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Now that's, think about that word servant. He was, he was dependent upon God the Father. He was dependent upon the Heavenly Father in the standpoint of, of his role and who he was in the Trinity. He was God. But he's not, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not, but they're all God. And he came as a, a servant to God in that aspect, but he also came to, to serve us uh, and to live amongst us and to serve us. Being born in the likeness of men. It goes on and we think about verse 7 there. Uh, back up a little bit. Taking the form of the being born in the light, and made himself nothing. He, he emptied himself. I kind of got ahead of myself. He, he had this mind. He was of God. He emptied himself. Here's a free fancy word, kenosis. Throw that around at work tomorrow. And I think you're smart. Well, what's your idea? To go to work and look at somebody and say, so in Philippians, what do you think about the kenosis theory of Jesus Christ? And look, kind of look all smart when you say that. It's the idea of him emptying himself. What did he empty himself of? Well, he did not empty himself of deity. It talks about him leaving the throne of glory, but the kenosis. The, people can take theological words and do all kind of things with it and turn it into all kind of crazy heresy. He did not empty himself of who he was in God. goes on to say that he took the form of a servant. He was literally, he, he took, and it's almost like he, he had the nature of God, and he added that to his nature of who he was, and he became a servant to death on the cross for our sins. And he, he took that on upon himself. Being found in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient and obedient to the point of death on the cross. 
So what did Christ do? That is, I mean, you can't, I can't come up with a better definition of humility than the glory live amongst men the way that he lived and the way that he the way he died he he sinless but he took the sin of man upon him he was perfectly god but he he bore the wrath and the the ugliness of sin and the the punishment for sin he bore that for us for those that are his somebody said, well who's us whoever calls on the name of the lord and repentance and faith it's that whole salvation thing those that are his jesus did that so step away theologically from that why do we have such a hard time humbling ourselves we call ourselves a christ follower we are a christian oh i know what i need to do i know what i'm supposed to do but i just can't do it no you cannot do it but christ has done it and as we follow him and lean on him and depend on him we can do it through him so as we learned this morning christ is in us as i am in christ and as i abide in christ and christ abides in me i will bear much fruit now think about humility and that uh, appeal to humility i just wrote down in my own little handwritten notes we take the mind of christ notice the three words we could say deny depend and dedicate verse six seven and eight he denied who he was in his glory from the sense so that he could be a servant depend on the leading of the father and then dedicate his life to what god the father had asked him to do as god the son have this mind that is in Christ. This is what John needs to do. I'm really nothing if you think about it. Everything I have is in him. So I am something. I'm a child of a king. But really I'm nothing. And it doesn't really matter what I think I deserve. Or what I think I need. Or how I think people ought to treat me. I'm really nothing. And everything I have, I, I'm dependent upon Christ for it. And so then I, second, I depend. I depend on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I depend on my relationship with Christ to lead me as I dedicate my life to serving him. You know, if you think about it, everything that we do for somebody, we're doing it because Christ has done for us, and we're showing an expression of that love as we minister to them. I've often said this. You can be very right with what you think, and be a very angry person doing it. And I never see that in Christ. You can be very right and be very arrogant. You can be very right and be very unapproachable. You can be very right and might make a difference. It's more than just being right. You think about our salvation. What did we do to deserve salvation? So then the second that we get saved, we want to look at the world and condemn them. You know, we, how many times have you been out in public? And, I cannot believe that. Who in the world? What in the world do we have to say? Boy, we were hell bound ourselves until Christ opened up our eyes to our need for him. And we got gloriously saved by grace through faith, not of works. So any man should boast. And now we're boasting and can't believe the world the way it is. Jesus came into the world the way it is. And he lived amongst it and followed the, the will of the Father. We've got a great opportunity to just be humble 
And me, you can be right. I, my, my goal is this. I always want to be right. As right as right as right. I want to be a, a right person, but I want to be as approachable as I can. You know, there, there are going to be times that I, I've said this before, before and over, that, that you know, I, I might be asked to, to uh, speak at something or do something, and, you know, just because it's got name of the church on it or, you know, I, this has, this has kind of happened before. I was asked to speak in more of a community-type setting, and uh, it was more of a, not in a church, but it was kind of like out in the, you know, well, I didn't know they didn't want me to preach the Bible. Shocking. They just wanted me to say generic terms about God. And Lord knows when I started talking about repentance and sin, they was a, well, we didn't want you to do all that. Well, I was very humble. <laughs> I was humble and, and I was sweet, tried to be, and, but I was standing on the authority of God's word and people didn't want to hear it. That's not what being humble means. Being humble is we are thankful for what we have in the Lord and we trust that God is going to use that and we do meet people where they are. If I meet a lost person where they are, I understand they're in need of a Savior. I'm not going to change what I know can save them in order to make them happy. But humility is something that just naturally flow for our life. It's something I pray for often. You know how difficult it is to be a pastor? Everybody looks at me. I mean, like, hey, everybody's looking at everything I say. Look at me. Everybody look at me. I can wear on a pastor. You know why so many pastors get into trouble? Because it's all about them all the time. Well, Brother John, Brother John, Brother John, come and hear me. Humility. We need to have an appeal for humility. To deny self, to depend on the Father, and to dedicate ourselves for being a servant. And we think about Christ now. Notice what it says. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name of every name. To the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I won't be sitting at the right hand of the Father. and I'm not God. But think about it. We're going to be resurrected and we're going to have a glorified body. And we'll be reigning with the Lord Jesus in heaven forever. And as we live this side of heaven, we're living that humble life. What we see is Christ was exalted as Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And now, as we often do in Scripture, it's like this is, this is what, you know, kind of a, a theological premise of, of, of what is going on. Verse 12, therefore, because of these things, so now we have an appeal to obedience. The, the what now is my little term. The what now. When, when I preach and teach, it's not just facts. It's the what now. What do we do with these facts? What do we, great, I learned some facts. I learned something today. What now? Therefore, verse 12 of Philippians 2, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. First, the what of obedience. What is he asking us to do? Therefore, my beloved, believers, an, un an unbeliever won't get this. This is for a believer. As you've always obeyed, so now not only in my present, but much more in my absence. So 
the what of obedience is you've done something, be like raising a child. I said, you know, I want you to pick up your room. Well, I did that. Okay, I, I need you to keep doing it. Oh, you wanted me to pick up my room whenever it's messy. We have obeyed, but the what of obedience is to continue to obey. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This work out our salvation is not I'm saved and I think I'm lost and I need to work on this. I've lost my salvation. I need to work out. I need to make sure I got it. And lose. What a sad life. My grandmother is with Jesus now and she was a faithful, 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 faithful Methodist. I used to tell her, I love you, Nana. Bobo, her name was Bobo. My other grandmother was Nana. I love you, Bobo, but I wish you had good thinking like a Baptist. A good Baptist believes you can't lose your salvation. Methodists, they, they, they think you can do something bad enough and lose it. and We won't go into that tonight. Bobo's shaking her finger at me in heaven now. I'm saved by grace through faith. I always use this story. I'm going to be a granddad. No, be a granddaddy. Y'all know that? I've used this story so long. Some of y'all, as you get older, you don't remember I say these things, and so you won't remember. <laughs> we literally brought the kid, the twins home when they were born. You know, we, we're so young, you, you couldn't just pile them in the car. You had to lock them up, and they faced backwards. And so I remember driving home from Atlanta, and they were... They were, they were twins. They weren't premature, but they were, you know, Brantley was seven-something, Emily was six-something, or did I get that right or wrong, honey? Pretty close. And so we, we literally get home, and we jump out. We were too young to even be married, much less be having multiple kids. I know now why my parents were so frightened when I said we were having twins, and the next year another baby, and they were like, oh, my gosh. So it worked out. God is good. God is sovereign. So literally, we get home, and I thought both of them were dead. And we, we, we turned around the car, and they were just, bah. They had that little tadpole look stage and head all crooked. And I said, well, we didn't even get from Atlanta, and we, did, we done blown it. We took those little precious children in the house, and no matter what they do, they're my children. They can move to the other side of the world and never speak to me for the rest of their life but they're still going to be my children because I brought them into this world. When we are born again and truly born again and we repent of our sin and we know that we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin and we give our life to Christ on that cross and said, thank you for dying for me. We enter into a relationship that the devil cannot snatch us out of his hand and he will never throw us out of his hand. And so we talk about the perseverance of the saint and, and we do, I do believe that. But I believe that. And so to work out my salvation with fear and trembling is not to make sure I'm saved and I've got to find it again. To work out my salvation is why we have 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're digging in spots we hadn't dug in in a while. It's, the, it's an agricultural term of plowing up a field and you're plowing up that field to bring that fruit in. And you're stirring something up that is already there. 
the what of obedience is to stir up your salvation. That's why we preach. That's why we, you know, if it wasn't about, you know, so you think about, okay, if, if once we got saved, let's say we did this. Okay, once you got saved, you, okay, let's do it again. We're going to have a service for lost people where I preach the gospel and I teach the Bible and I tell you about Jesus Christ so you can be saved. Once you get saved, then you come into another service and it's more about just praise and worship and singing and fellowshipping and enjoying being a Christian. Do we do that? No. We gather and we still preach the gospel. We preach Christ. We encourage people to read the Bible, pray the word, you know, con contemplate where you are in Christ. I heard John Piper say this one time, a church should never get tired of hearing the gospel preached over and over and over. Why? Because we're stirring up our salvation within us. Work out the what of obedience is stir and working out myself. That's why we go to church. That's why we have Wednesday night church and so we have opportunities to work within us. That's why we witness. That's why we serve. That's why we pray. The what of obedience is to work out our salvation for, notice what it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's reverence and awe and wonder. talking about he is able when I when I hear that song I do get excited I, I a few weeks ago I raised my hands and I think everybody went into panic mode I think the preacher raised his hands at the Christmas cantata where's this going next I'm telling you he is able a couple more times I might have took off running <laughs> just take off and would I move up the list if I take off running She's wanting a running pass. I'm only in the, I'm only five because I don't run. And I'm not meaning that some emotion. Woo! But I'm telling you, just get excited. He is able. Well, you're, you're a believer. Yes, but he's able. What he's done for me. He is able. You know, I, I said that this morning. Sometimes I'm getting to a real good part of Scripture. I look out there and go, y'all with me here. What Bible are you looking at? How can you not just have a big smile on your face right now? I still, I'm going to do it. And you people think I'm crazy. One, I'm gonna, one day I'm going to do that. I'm going to pull my phone out and I'm going to take a selfie going backwards. And then I'm going to ask Stanley to put it up there and say, look how sad y'all look. Work it out. Get excited about it. That's the word of it. For it is as God who works in us. God in us is working in us with fear and trembling for it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I said, well, if we're not careful, church can become just do what you want. It's always the extreme. If you just do what you want, get saved, check the box. Everybody says, what in the world is this box? There's actually a box you check when you get saved. We've got to have some way of keeping record. So we literally check a box. You put your name on there and you check that box right there, you can get voted in membership of this church. And once you get on that list, you're never coming off. <laughs> on the box right there. Now I'm going to create my own little sheets and say there's a trial period here. Well, I've checked the box. Well, that's good. What have you done since you checked the box? 
And that'd be like getting married. Well, I got married. I'm like, that's over. <laughs> no, it's just beginning. There's a purpose in our salvation. I've checked the box. Yes, I'm a new Christian. I just don't know what to do. But uh, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work. We think of that word will. It's our desires. We think of that word work. It's our actions. So it, it, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. His good pleasure is to glorify Him and to live a life that I'm glorifying Him as I conform to the image of His Son. The greatest example of what that looks like. Just enjoying who I am in Him. I'm not really a touchy-feely guy and I struggle with that. You know, it, for those that know theologians, uh, it's not intentional, but a couple of my favorite theologians are named John. John Piper, John MacArthur. John Piper is just kind of emotional when he preaches and he says, oh, that's not John. John MacArthur is more, this is what we need to do, verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, verse 6, that's more like me. And some of us are that way, more emotion, and I just declare the glories of the Lord as I look into the land, I'm going, I tell Sharon, honey, I just, something, I can't do that. I'm trying. I really am. In the inside, I'm doing that, but it just doesn't come out that way. She said, honey, John, you be the John God's called you to be. Don't worry about John MacArthur and John Piper. You be John the Baptist. <laughs> True story. Another, another pastor, Johnny Hunt, another John, made a comment in his preaching that one of the persons in his congregation sent him a letter with all the grammatical problems. And he got up the next Sunday and said, heard this, God hadn't called me to be an English professor. He's called me to be a proclaimer of the gospel. And so I told Sharon, there you go. <laughs> and she, without a taking a breath, but he didn't call you to be a redneck doing it. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty sharp. So I've got to be John. I, I've got to be John, but I need to be a sanctified John. But there's a purpose that God is working in me. So when I think about, so naturally we can become an extreme. I just want to bask in the glory of God. But I don't want to do anything. I just want to bask in his goodness and glory. And then the other extreme, you got to do this and you got to do that. And you got to do this and God's never going to be happy. Again, it's all about the extreme. Just meet in the middle. Yes, I don't naturally bask in the glory. Be still and know that I'm God. I'd rather run around like a spiritual chicken with my head cut off. But I need to work on being still and know that I'm God. And so it is a combination of your will, your desires, and your inner stirring and your actions. For it is God's work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what of obedience? The how of obedience, very quickly, do all things without grumbling or questioning. This would not have been my choice to be in the Bible, but it is. Grumbling is what the nation of Israel did in the desert. Wah, 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 wah. 
We ate better in Egypt. It's hot out here. Where are we going? How many of us do that? Well, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Well, I knew this. I knew that. Who are, we, who are we grumbling against? God. Well, this didn't happen. Well, that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're grumbling. That's under our breath. I think it's more theological than anything. We're, are we doubting? He either is God or he is not God. If we're sick or despaired or something's going on in our life, we grumble, we grumble, we grumble. Then it goes on to say, do all things without grumbling or without questioning. That's more of an outside. That's where we get into others, the questioning things going on. The how of obedience is just quit questioning God. Remember, we're humble. And we don't have to question everything in that capacity. One of this, it's funny when you're a pastor and you first become a pastor because you, you go through seminary and you go through college and you think, you know what, I get to be a pastor. Monday morning is this way Monday morning is going to look like. And Tuesday and Wednesday. And I heard in seminary, we all read that book, I'm sure Matt has too, that a good pastor spends 20 hours, isn't it 20 hours? 20 hours a week on a sermon. What are y'all all, all going to do? Go on vacation for the week or something? So I, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to 20 minutes on Sunday morning, 20, 20 hours on Sunday morning, 20 hours on Sunday night, 10 hours on Wednesday. This is going to be great. Monday's going to do this. Tuesday's going to be that. This is going to be great. I'm going to be the best pastor in the world. They're going to write a book about me one day. I got it all figured out. First week on the job, guess what happened Monday? The sheep come around. I don't do something. And so I, I'm not going, well, I didn't work out. I'm going to catch up on Tuesday. Well, I didn't work out. I'm going to do a third. So, uh, uh, what? Life's not the way I want it to be. Life's not the way I thought it was going to be. Life's not what does. It's not the way you want to be. You're not in control of it. And we don't need you to be. That's the thing about it. If you set the agenda, this is where it gets good for me. If I set my agenda, and I have calendars everywhere. I love calendars. I have a big calendar on my desk. I have a calendar on my phone. They sync if I can remember to input it on my phone. And I love to be organized and planned, and I can have a great plan and how everything's going to go. And I think we all need to be having, having a plan. But at the end of the day, do I want my plan to be the best, or do I want to just follow God's plan to be the best? Yes, I can mark out what I think I need to be doing, but I'm doing this for the Lord. And so when things do not go the way I want to do, I'm not grumbling, I'm not questioning, I'm just enjoying. So I realize along goes a pastor, you need to have a plan, but you just need to be open and let God use you whatever's going on. The how of obedience, do all things without crumbling, complaining and arguing. The result of this obedience, 15 and following. Do all things without crumbling and, and, and questioning, that you may be blameless you know what blameless is? Blameless is not innocent. Blameless would be Sharon and I's relationship. When she walks in the house and all the cabinets are open. And she can tell what I've done. And then she'll, she'll literally come up to me and say, well, did you, did, you, did you eat lunch and make coffee and feed the cats and try to clean out the dishwasher? How'd you know? She doesn't go, I cannot do this. She just, okay, just thank you. She knows that's the best I got. And it's a miracle that that, that got done. She does, it's like a child. It just, I know it's not intentional, 
Bless your heart, you're doing the best you can. I look at some of y'all that way. Bless your heart, you're doing the best you can. It's never going to be the way I would like it to be. It's going to be all right. Same way with you. You look at me and say, well, I thought it was going to be. It's just, that's blameless. God never said for us to be perfect. He just said blameless. Love me, follow me. That's all he's going to ask. Did you do what I asked you to do? Do you love me? Do you work? Do you do? When you go to 21 days of fasting and prayer, why do I do that? So I can be blameless for him. I'm asking God to show me things I haven't seen in a while. Be blameless and innocent children of God. What are the results of being it? So I can be blameless as a child of God. And then last, so that my light will shine. That you may be blameless children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You know, I tell you, just be there to be different. I think that was the theme of our yearbook one year in high school. How I remember that, I have no idea. I was on the yearbook staff, I guess. Dare to be different. And as a few weeks ago, don't be normal. Not normal as in just normal, afraid to be. I mean, just be different. Let people see a difference in your life that God gets the glory for. Don't be, just dare to be different. I tell our high school kids, you, wanna, you know, and I don't, I'm not making fun of things, but, you know, we see kids do something just to get attention. And they go through phases and they dress a certain way and they act a certain way. And, they, and I've asked some of our kids that have grown through that and it could be, you know, da, 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 da. Why did you do that? I just wanted to be accepted. I wanted people to notice me. You may tell you how to be noticed in high school. You want to be different? Love Jesus Christ and be a bold witness for him. You'll be different. And God will bless that and honor that and you'll be different. We as a church need to be different. We as a people need to be different. We don't have to be normal and blend in. Just be different for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what letting your light shine means. Holding fast to the world of holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ it may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor. Notice what it says there that we make things evident, we guide people, we lead people as we hold forth to the word of life. We hold the word and we, we hold the world before us and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that in the day of Christ I'm proud, I may be proud to not run in labor pain. You ever thought about that? Paul was saying, listen, live your life in such a way that I don't think my life is in vain. You know, one of the greatest joys, here, here's let's in a little preacher's world. We have, I have no idea what's going on when somebody comes forward or they come to me and they join the church or I talk. I have no way. The only gauge I have is their life. And one of the benefits of like social media and Facebook, the biggest thrill I have is when somebody contacts me and says, Coach Beck, Pastor Beck, I've coached football forever and basketball, Coach Beck, guess what? I'm married. I'm in church. My kids, it's kind of funny. My kids are in the youth group. Oh, good gosh, how old am I? I must have started young. That's what it's all about. You know, you think about your life and, and finishing faithful and those that have, have gone before you. What a great testimony of, of our witness when we finish in such a way that those that invested their life in us said, listen, I know I did not labor and run in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Notice that. It is a sacrificial offering of the church's faith. He is going to be martyred for Christ and it's because of what he has done for their sake. 
You know, we think about the church in a couple of weeks. We're going we're gonna to acknowledge our past. The souls that were literally in a building and the gospel message that was proclaimed there and the, the pastors that have come before so that we, you know, kind of funny illustration would be a, a few years ago at the 100-year celebration, let you in on the pastor's world a little bit. Brother Pastor, my name is Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Oh, I'm so glad you came to the celebration. Where are you from? Oh, I live here. Oh, okay. What, did your, 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 your pastor let you out for church today? Oh, no, I got saved here. I've been here. My family's been here all my life. We come to celebrate. Okay, well, get in, get in line. How sad do you think that pastor would be? It's not the pastor's fault, but you think about it. What if Brother Childress would have been standing there? Oh, good to see you, brother. How, how's your life? Oh. You know, think about what the, think about the people and the sermons and the lessons and everything that we've heard that people have poured into us. How are we going to finish that? Paul says, listen, I will gladly give my life as an offering for your faith. That's a great testimony of obedience. Likewise, you also be glad and rejoice. With me. Can you see now why that's considered the meat of one of the major components of Philippians? An appeal to steadfastness and unity, humility, and obedience. Let's bow and I'll, I'll close this with prayer. But as you bow, if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would just ask you to open up your heart and faith and receive Him. There's no magical formula other than you realize that you need to open up your heart and call on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. Repent of your sins, place your faith in him, and give your life to him. You may be here tonight and be like so many of us that are believers. I want to encourage you to live out this passage and to realize that the greatest relationship we have is Jesus Christ and be part of the body of Christ. And to know that he has given us eternal life in heaven, but a, a spirit-filled life we can live this side of heaven. Lord God, we, we thank you for your word this evening. I love you for it. I thank you for so great of salvation. I pray that I can be a man, a believer, a person that would adhere to these appeals. Not just with our mind, but Lord, with my life. That I would be steadfast, that I would be unified in the faith and with the church body, that I would be a, a humble believer and that I would be obedient as I live for you and your glory and honor. And Lord, I do pray that you continue to encourage and minister to our souls as we sing the words, as we preach the word, as we receive the word. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.